Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale. And in this week's episode, I'm excited because my guest is Tony Mbisi from The Market Diner. Uh, I've known Tony and been working with him for the last like eight or nine years. I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast, at least in detail and not from our social accounts either. But uh, there's two sides of the business. There's this side, there's the Instagram, the social media side, the content creation, um, the eat local card. And then there's the side of the business that pays the bills. And that's the marketing side. I'm, you know, we that's how really this all, whole thing got started is uh, managing social media accounts for independent restaurants in the area, doing content creation, marketing, email, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's how we got started. And... Uh, you know, I'm proud to say the Market Diner has been a, uh, like was my first restaurant account eight, nine years ago when I first moved back from Texas and started this out as a side hustle and started Eat Local CNY and uh, got connected with Tony. And and so, you know, back then when I was working with Tony, when we first, when I first started with him, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Uh, you know, I, to my recollection, we were the first at the Market Diner to like consistently post good pictures of uh, of the food on a daily basis. Um, we were the f- we were one of the first to ever run like consistent Facebook ads for a restaurant here in Syracuse. One of the first to get on Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats. And working with Tony over the past, you know, however many years eight or nine has been great because he runs a classic diner, an old school greasy spoon diner here in Syracuse, New York. Uh, One that is a very important part of the community and the food scene here in Syracuse, if you want my opinion. You know, it's a diner that's been in operation in the same family since the 70s. And, you know, Tony and his wife, Elaine, have now been the stewards of that legacy for the last, I think, 15 years. Um, so Tony runs that diner, runs it well, is a very successful restaurant owner, and and keeps things to the classic way that, that they should be run in a place like that. But he's also aware of everything that's happening out there and trends and food and social media and content and marketing. And it's really interesting. It's been... Um, you know, inspirational to kind of observe that Um, because there's a lot of restaurant owners out there that I know who have no idea what they're doing and Tony is not one of them. Um, And so it was great to sit down with him and and have this conversation in the podcast. He was like one of the first three episodes of the podcast that I ever put out years ago uh, when I first started this like seven years ago. And I don't think those episodes are still on the platform because when we switched platforms, we lost like the first... 10 episodes. Um, uh, but anyways, yeah, so it's been, it's great to have him on great to chat. And, uh, yeah, I'm recording this really late. Uh, this is, this podcast was supposed to be out earlier in the week, but our son unfortunately had an ear infection and a couple of days at home with him means things get pushed off. So I'm, I'm sitting here at seven 30 on Thursday night, recording this episode tomorrow morning. They're having at the market diner from five to 9 a.m the Dave Allen Christmas special live broadcast right at the studio. It's their sixth year doing it. It's a really great event, uh, great time, great crowd comes in. And every year they do some, Tony does something crazy to like co-market it. And this year he's doing 
57 cent breakfasts. <laughs> you get two eggs and toast for 57 cents. Um, or you can get a hamburger with lettuce and tomato and onion for $5 and 70 cents. And uh, only from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. I'm going to be there, I think, around like 6.30, 7, 7.30, somewhere around there. I'll be hanging out for about an hour or so. And uh, I'm going to have some Eat Local New York cards with me. So please, if you stop down, I'm going to have a free Eat Local New York card for you. Um, or stop down, I'll buy you breakfast. I'm going to shell out the 57 cents to buy you breakfast if you come down there and, and meet and hang out and, and experience the Market Diner. You know, touching, ba touching back real quick on the marketing side, uh, you know, like I said, that's kind of, that's how I got this business started. The marketing side was the side hustle about six months to a year into that. I met the restaurant owner that I've told this story a thousand times in the podcast, but I met the restaurant owner who needed help and couldn't afford any marketing or social media. So at that time, I, I decided to start the Instagram account of Eat Local CNY in an effort to build an audience that then could one day post about a restaurant and get a hundred people to go there. And, um, yeah, but everything started with marketing and social media and content creation. And, um, you know, I've always been a little shy about talking about that kind of stuff just because you know, I've never really felt like the expert with it. But, you know, here 10 years almost into this, I realize, especially talking to people nowadays, that I know a hell of a lot of information that, you know, today with the volatil volatility of Instagram and TikTok, um, uh, and social media in general, people are asked, have a lot of unanswered questions on, on how it all works. And so, you know, I started an Instagram account and a website for that side of the business. And I'm just calling it, you know, calling it yummy socials. And so if you want to find us online, yummysocials.com, uh, or Instagram is yummy.socials and I'll put links in the show notes. But, um, over there I am podcasting and putting out reels and TikTok videos and Facebook posts and and talking and giving a lot, a lot, a lot of free information away on the world of marketing, really specifically for independent restaurants today and content creation, social media management, and just ways to grow a restaurant's business through marketing today. And so if you're interested in any of that, I'd love to see it over there. Um, and hey, if you're listening to this and you're a restaurant owner who needs help with any of that, hire me. Um, but yeah, so finally putting all that information out and I got it over there on yummy socials talking about our sponsor. It's a great tie in for this episode. Roger and Sean are great friends of Tony and the market diner and Brown Carbonic is our sponsor here on the eat local New York podcast. And at the market diner, you can go in there and find their full line of challenger colas and craft beverages that are there right at the market diner. Shucks root beer, my favorite root beer I've ever had. Um, but a great local company that has been a sponsor here for the last few months, and it's such an easy layup to work with them. And you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vent just for a second. And Sean, if you're listening, I hope you don't get mad at me for this. I'm not going to out anybody, but there's a restaurant that's going to be opening up here in the downtown Syracuse area, and... You know, it's owned and run by people who currently own and have owned multiple other restaurants in Syracuse. And, you know, they're using Brow Carbonic for their 
uh, CO2 and their nitrogen for their um, for their draft beer system. But they went with Coca-Cola for their sodas. And here's why it pisses me off. Because in a small community like Syracuse, New York, if anyone should have the back of another fellow business owner and entrepreneur in our community, it should be another restaurant working with a local food service company. I cannot fathom. It blows my mind. Why on earth someone would deliberately choose a national company where all of the profits leave our community, where the majority of the tax dollars go to the company's headquarters in a different state, in a different part of the country, where the majority of the tax dollars do not stay right here in our community. Why on earth would someone deliberately choose to do that? It boggles my mind. Not to mention the fact that the local company has a better price, has better service, has a better product. It just, it boggles my mind. Especially in our world of restaurants and hospitality and food service, why would you not choose the local company? I don't understand it. I never will understand it. And to be quite frank, if you are listening to this and you are currently purchasing from Pepsi or Coca-Cola, what is wrong with you? Call Brown Carbonic, 315-454-3591. Don't be one of those guys or gals who chooses to send your money out of state when you own a local business here in central New York and Syracuse. Keep your money in our community. Support your fellow business owner and entrepreneur who's trying to make it just like you are. 315-454-3591. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Tony from The Market Diner. A rock through my window twice in two days. Mm. I repaired the window. The next day it was broken again. Mm. I'm like, what the fuck is this serving? What purpose are people serving? That happened at the diner? Yeah. yeah. Damn, I didn't you know, know those. Yeah, you know those um, landscaping rocks we have out front? Yeah. Under the awnings? Yeah. It was in May. Thank God there was no demonstrations. The market was mm. basically closed. Yeah. Right? But it was, it, dude, it was just a, a, it was probably a vagrant or somebody living yeah. under the fucking bridge or living in the vestibule in, in at, uh, Busting. My next door neighbor. Yeah, yeah. At, at Buddhas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so they, you know, for whatever reason, they heard the news and they maybe thought it was a good idea to throw a rock through one of my windows. <laughs> Dude, they also threw rocks at my sign that faced the parking lot and broke the lens on one of my sign on, on one of the letters of my sign. So, dude, that was a $3,100 fix. And, dude, I didn't call my insurance company. <laughs> I just paid for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you... I'm going to tell you because it was a big deal for me. We're closed. Yeah. It cost me money to be closed with no fucking revenue, yeah. right? And I got some fucking guy or gal throwing a rock through my window because of something that happened that was horrible, mm-hmm. admittedly, 1,500 miles away from here, Yeah, right? Or 1,000 miles away from here in Minnesota, wherever it happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I'm like, okay, this is just a person making a decision, a bad decision, but they're emotional about it. Yeah. 
call my glass guy, get it fixed. The sign, I'm like, fuck it, I won't deal with it until it opens. And that's why we actually did a new sign. Mm-hmm. And we just, it just had, you know, I just said, fuck it, if I'm going to spend the money to fix that, I'm going to look at doing a new sign. Mm. So I fixed the window. It's no big deal. It's like a $400 repair. Next day, same window, busted again. So I just said, fuck it, I'm putting a piece of plywood up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it there until I open, which was August 2nd, yeah. a couple months later, whatever. And all the, you know, all the hoopla died down and yeah. I wasn't getting any more rocks thrown through my windows <laughs> or, you know, my sign. Yeah. But that's, so that's what, you know, th- that's part of it. I mean, a lot of it started years ago, but it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a muscle. Um, it's kind of like a train, you know, it's kind of like holding back a train, mm-hmm. you know, but at some point it has enough power where you can't and you got to just move off the tracks and let it go and then yeah. rethink and regroup. That's kind of what happened you know, to me over the last 16 years or mm-hmm. so running this diner, 17 mm. years. Do you but, think, um, talking about COVID, do you think that the our local restaurant industry is still feeling any effects from COVID? Definitely. Um, I think it's an indirect effect. So if you, if you look at what happened around COVID, um, more specifically, what I mean is that the government started handing out money. All right, so everybody was forced into a layoff or a closure, mm-hmm. and a lot of those people, um, most everybody, uh, was able to collect unemployment. And then there was a subsidy on unemployment. So, you know, like in my position, I was able to collect unemployment plus the federal subsidy. I was saving money. Yeah, you know, I mean, I wasn't making as much as if the diner was open, but um, I had disposable income mm-hmm. without having to go to work. <laughs> And I think what happened was people had so much time to think about their situation without the pressures of gainful employment that mm. they made decisions around what am I excited about and what don't I like. And our business is a difficult business, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weekends, it's nights, um, it's holidays. So I think that the indirect effects um, of COVID still linger in our industry. You see, you see restaurants failing that you wouldn't think would fail. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of owners or friends in this market and other markets and they're all, they're all like, sometimes it's good, but the pressures of the, the pressures of, uh, I like to say opportunism, Mm -hmm. almost like price gouging, you know, you know, I was at a bowling alley in Fulton for a kid's birthday party this weekend Mm. They're still charging a dollar fifty for a wing, you know. Like so, ten wings are fifteen or sixteen dollars. But you know, wings are back down to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. So what's how did what's the justification? Right. Well, you know, it's the same justification the state has with the New York State Thruway. When's the last time the Thruway cost you less money? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. So yeah, there's lingering effects of the pandemic. What's the probably the most profound one we see? Labor. A lot of people got out of the labor. Uh, force. A lot of people retired early. Yeah. Um, a lot of people parlayed that little bit of income into other things, business opportunities, things they've always wanted to chase. Um, mm. You know, there's a lot of landscapers out there that, you know, yeah. bought a truck trailer and a mower and they went into business with it for themselves and they hired people. And, mm. you know, a lot of those people came from our industry, hospitality, you know? Yeah. So definitely there's lingering effects. Absolutely. We feel them, but mm. No, we've been we've been fortunate, you know, in that um, we've never really been in a position where, with the exception of our nighttime business, um, 
where we felt the crunch mm-hmm. of labor, where, you know, I've had to work nonstop. Yeah. Um, you know, but n- knowing that I, I pay above industry standards and that's by design. It's on purpose, you know. That's hmm. our, you know, I hate to sound cliche, but our greatest asset is our people. Yeah. You know, if you don't have people, you can't sell food. Right. You know, you can't sell anything. You yeah. Know? You can't build anything, you know, unless you're, unless you have an AI model and right. you're technical <laughs> and you can develop that, you know. Right. And like we were talking about right before we I hit record is the, uh, you're going to get somebody in there who just makes life a hell, a living hell, you know. Um, you know, you can have a staff that just like drives you crazy, um, and makes life worse on a completely different level. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really surprising how it's not surprising. It's wildly expensive to go out to eat nowadays. Yep. I was just having the conversation with, uh, two friends who own breweries, one in the Utica area, one here in Syracuse. And the one friend said today, this morning, he was like, I wonder the way he phrased it. I wonder if poor people are still going out to, fa- to eat at fast food restaurants because it's so expensive there. Like, like the middle income restaurants, let's say, uh, are slow, and they're saying it's because they're they're assuming it's because people don't have money to go out to eat like they used to. But are poor people still going out to fast food restaurants? Um, and I don't know. Because it's ex- it's expensive. You go yeah. to Burger King today; it's fourteen bucks. If you get a number one Whopper yeah. with fries and a drink, it's fourteen dollars. You and I have had a relationship for a long time, um, and we've probably had this discussion. But what I find is people are less inclined to change their habits. So, but they're more so they're more inclined to just um, uh, uh, change how and where they spend their money. But they're still out there spending, mm-hmm. right? So I pay attention to a lot of the economic data that's published every week. And uh, if you really want to get a sense of how weak or how strong the consumer is, you take a look at credit card balances and you take a look at defaults. And then you can also take a look at the manufacturing industry, right? How is the consumer? It paints a, it paints a picture. Well, I think the tougher the, tougher the economy, um, in, in you know, economy, I mean, holistically looking down, like how far does my income take me at the grocery store? Right. Because if it only if it takes me to uh, X minus five percent, then that's five percent less that I have to spend at Olive Garden that week. Right. So if it's Olive Garden Mm. that used to get my money, you know, or whatever, or Barato's. okay, it doesn't matter who angry garlic. I don't care who it is. Yeah. um, They might trade down for something that's a perceived bigger value. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like the the Beville Diner or the Market Diner or, um, you know, uh, yeah. What have you? You get that. You get the idea. So people will tend to trade down, yeah. you know, and, and where they're normally shopping at Target, maybe they're shopping at Walmart. Mm-hmm. I remember know? when I first started. When we first started working together, I would I asked you a lot because I was like obsessed with the recession for the last eight years, and I was. I think I remember talking to you about that, and if if a recession hit, how would it affect food service? And I remember you told me like in two thousand eight when that hit two thousand eight two thousand nine. <laughs> Like you guys weren't affected too much because people may not go to the movies as often or at all if things are really bad, but they're still going to go out to eat. Like that becomes their entertainment. Um, and I think that that's maybe I haven't thought about that with like your your analogy of trading down. Yeah, maybe they're not going to Angry Garlic. Maybe they're going to the deli or whatever the case is or going to the diner. Um, 
But a lot of I know a lot of restaurants that are hurting right now in Syracuse that are like really slow. And the brewery scene, a thousand percent, is incredibly down. Um, so many. It's like seems like every single day there's another brewery closing. Um, and we haven't seen that yet with restaurants in our area, but I have a feeling it's around the corner, you know, where we're going to start seeing a lot of them shut down. And I don't think anybody knows why. That's the problem. Nobody knows why that, you know, why that is. They want to blame like, oh, it's still left over from COVID. Um, oh, things are too expensive. I can't afford staff, you know, so I have to raise my prices to $15 for an order of wings because, you know, employment and yada, yada, yada. So maybe that's why customers aren't coming in, but nobody has like an exact reason why. And I don't know if anybody ever will have an exact reason why until somebody starts to do something different and maybe succeeds. I don't know. Maybe we're going to be slammed for Dave Allen's Christmas show for 57 cents. cents right. <laughs> Eggs and toast. That's, that's yeah. your, this is your number six or seven with them. Yeah. And, uh, they're good people. We like to do it. You know, and so like, you know, that's a good example. That's, you know, when you had Chad on, mm-hmm. uh, which was an awesome, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't get away from my computer or my phone, <laughs> whatever I watched it on uh, that podcast. But, you know, I justify those things by, um, you know, having a commitment to my brand marketing mm-hmm. and an affinity for what they do. Mm-hmm. and the importance of their program in our community or any talk radio show in any local community, right? Yeah. Because we can all stream yeah. CNN, Fox News, whatever your whatever your, you know, whatever your poison is, you can stream it. Yeah. But that's a local guy with local people that live local doing a local thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I listen to 570. Dave's Dave's yeah. a friend, you know, and I and uh and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what his political alignments are. I could care less. Mm-hmm. I just I like the fact that it gives me a pulse on on you know the city that I operate a business in. Yeah. You know, um, but I want to I want to go back and 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 say uh, something that you asked about how has COVID affected our industry. Um, with hospitality, there's been a cultural shift to where. What happened was, and we, and, th- and this was really born out of necessity when we were closed, and then we were, we opened in stages like fifty percent occupancy, seventy five percent occupancy. Oh, and if you were in the city, you got closed again, mm-hmm. right? So we were able to open in summer, and then we were closed again the week just before Thanksgiving because yeah. you know Cuomo cited uh, uh, population density and there was too much infection, you know. So what happened was there was this. Um, there was this shift where people made a conscious decision to order takeout delivery, DoorDash, yeah. right? So our, our numbers for delivery have gone through the roof, but it's a more expensive segment, yeah. you know, for us to operate. So if it's more expensive, if the cost to do business online is more expensive, then the margins are, are smaller, right? There's still margins nonetheless, but it's, you know, you, 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 it's like trying to feed a family of four on one portion of your income without your side hustle or trying to mm. just, you know, family afford with your side hustle and you've lost your main source of income. Yeah. So it helps, but it's expensive and mm. it hasn't slowed down. Like our, our delivery business, you know, without trying to sound like we're, I'm patting ourselves on the back, it's out of control. Mm. You know, it's like I could, I could probably, I could probably operate the market diner as a ghost kitchen and do just fine. Yeah, you know, with our delivery and takeout business, hmm. and 
know, sometimes, sometimes it's like, you know, it's it, it, when you're dealing with the daily struggles of, you know, what you're paying for, you know, case of eggs is back up to $75, you mm-hmm. know, and it's half of what they were in January, thank God, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you're, you're, you know, breakfast is our, is our, is our main profit center. Yeah. So, you know, when eggs are 150, 160 dollars a case, I basically don't take a paycheck. Hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's nuts. You know, and I and I'll it, so I'll give you an example. We buy, we buy. We're you know we're the we really, you know, we practice what we preach. I buy eggs from a guy in Lafayette. Hmm. You know, and sometimes a guy in Pompey. You know, I mean, I shop it, but I buy local eggs because oh, they're cool. typically, you know, they save me some money. Yeah. But if there's bird flu throughout Europe, yeah, right, and uh, the egg board is determining the cost of eggs nationally, he doesn't have to adhere to them. Yeah, he's being opportunistic. You know, his right. his grain to feed birds and to clean up after birds doesn't doesn't change a thing, mm-hmm. right? And meat birds are different than egg birds. You yeah. know, a lot of people don't understand. So it's like, well, what goes into it? Well. You know, you see, you, you watch your favorite financial show and you look at the ticker symbol on the bottom of the segment that shows commodities, you, you know, what's changed with orange juice and pork bellies, except the government governing body has decided that the price needs to go up or down at that any given moment, mm-hmm. you know? So we deal with stuff like that. But it, what stands out to me is that our, our delivery business has changed a ton mm. and it's never abated back to pre-pandemic levels. That's wild. Yeah. You yeah. know, wonder- Instacart took off. Yeah. During the pandemic. It gave, yeah. you know, you know, I mean. Yeah. We still use it. My wife and I still use Instacart uh, every single week because, yeah. you know, part of it was just in the beginning with, you know, having Anthony, it was easy. It was all, you know, pain to go grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we do the pickup option, pull up to text them when you're on your way, drive up front, pop your trunk, somebody puts your yeah. groceries in and you drive yeah. off. It's awesome. And yeah, it is, it's, it is wild how much, I wonder what that is. Like, what is the convenience? What's, what's the amount of money that Americans spend on convenience every week, every year? I mean, it's gotta be multiple, multiple billions of dollars. For me personally, it's my biggest, it's my biggest, for me personally, it's my biggest motivation. Yeah. You know, because I'm, we put such a, Anthony, I don't know anybody and I'm not, I'm not stroking you. (laughs) You work nonstop, Mm -hmm. right? And you have a little kid at home, you have a wife, you have parents, you have siblings, you have a family, you have mm-hmm. things that are also important to you outside of your four walls here on Fayette Street. Right? Yeah. So if, it, if, you can, if you can have someone meet you in your office and cut your hair for 50 bucks instead of 25, that might be, that yeah. might be an attractive look mm-hmm. for you, right? It's the same thing with having your prescriptions yeah. mailed to your house. You know, in many situations, for less money. Yeah, but, for sure. Uh, you know, my parents are elderly. My in-laws are elderly. Hmm. It's not getting in the car and going to the grocery store that's so hard. It's carrying the groceries from the grocery store into the car, cleaning the snow off the car, making right. sure the driveway's safe, you know, mm-hmm. and then carrying the groceries inside and putting them away. Yeah. So for the 10% convenience fee we're, get, we're charging, you know, my parents, they're old school. They don't want to... They don't want to part with the money. They're like, oh, we have time. We could do it. Yeah, but, you, you know, getting around is difficult for you. Mm. They see the value in the in the convenience yeah. of Instacart, you know? <laughs> so me, I personally, I, I put a huge price on it because my, my, my time spent with my kids, mm-hmm. my wife, and helping my parents, my in-laws, 
is far more valuable to me at north of 50 than it was north yeah. of 30. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Or south of south of 40. Yeah. It's a different animal. It's totally different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really, it's funny. I was at the restaurant last night, and, you know, I told my wife, uh, you know, two weeks ago, hey, I'm doing this pop-up, so Monday and Tuesday night. Like, every day I try to be home between 4.30 and 5 o'clock because, you know, when you think about it, like, you know, you've got kids. My Rebecca and Anthony leave the house every day at 7 a.m. She takes them to daycare. She goes to work. She picks them up from daycare at like 4.30. And he's home, hanging out, have dinner. He's in bed by 7 o'clock at the latest. So I've got like two to two and a half hours a day with your with my son. It's crazy to yeah. think how little time you have. So yeah. I try to get home like between 4.30 and 5 so I can have like that hour and a half, two hours to hang out with him. And doing the pop-up, you know, I'm in, I'm up at the restaurant last night. It's dead, you know, like we were talking about. And I'm like, why in the hell am I here doing this? I Now I had to, like, rush on my 20 minutes to hang out with Anthony last night before I went to bed. But I'm like, why in the hell am I up here doing this right now? This is the dumbest thing in the world. It's amazing the priorities that change when you have kids, you know. Um, and now I just have, if, if I had some of my clients or some people that are like, Hey, you know, we can't meet during the day to do this. We need to come do the photo. Like I was at Harvey's garden last night at 8 30 PM doing a photo shoot for their cocktails. Cause that was the only time I had, it was like, all right, I, I can do it during the day, but you're not available. So I can't do it at six. I'm gonna have to come at 8 30 after Rebecca and Anthony have gone to bed so I can you know do this. It's a, it's, it's. It's great. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it's amazing how much scheduling and priorities change when you get things that are more important, like kids. You know? No question. Yeah. yeah. How is um, – you've had the diner now for, would you say, 16, 17 yeah. years? Since 08. It's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. What's yeah. – um, and I mean, 49 right. years with the family, right? Yeah. Yeah, my father-in-law. My father-in-law had uh, – they bought it in uh, – November of 74, hmm. um, he had two partners. One is still a prominent businessman here in uh, Syracuse in a totally different business. Well, his, my father-in-law's partner, uh, ex-partner, son, is a prominent businessman here. Um, and then his other partner has passed away recently, well, in the, in the last eight, eight years or so. But, yeah, so my father-in-law ran it forever, and then my brother-in-law... Uh, bought his father out, and then my wife bought her brother out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bought her brother out. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been good to us, you know. But I I always say that you know it's taken care of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But uh, the last few years, I've always say you know it's been good to us, but we've been good to it. You know, a lot of people take a look at us and they're like, man, you gotta you know you get a lot of flexible time and and all those things are true you know mm-hmm. th- it's inherent to being self-employed but i never get i never get the comments that say hey you went seven years working you know f- 14 hours a day mm-hmm. you know or you went 12 years without a day off <laughs> and i'll tell you that to impress you it's the reality of it yeah you know and and i remember i remember uh you know there's those weeks in january and february where you didn't get a paycheck mm-hmm. you know and um you know, so it, it, it's a. It, it, I tell you, it, it, I used to love it, and I guess what I love loved most about it, I still like, is the people that come through the door. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're dude, we're blessed that we have 
4,000 people that come in the restaurant a week, mm. you know. And a lot of those people are people that you have um, emotional connection to because you see them so often, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, that's I guess that's a, a big difference between what we do as a local hometown diner versus what you're going to see at Longhorns or a, a Red Lobster is that some of these people eat at our place twice a day because we're mm. their dining room, we're their kitchen, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, 16 years now, mm. uh, I guess, 08, right? Yeah. Is, is what, 18, you know, 15 yeah. years? It's crazy. Yeah. So it's good, you know. My kids are too young to uh, think about taking it over, but we'll <laughs> see. My daughter's... My daughter watches cooking shows with my wife nonstop. She loves it. Is that I've asked I've asked a few other parents this question and you know, I growing up, I you know it's funny, this sounds morbid, but getting older, I think about like, you know, how many how many more years I've got, you know, with my parents. And um and I forget what that number is. Somebody was saying like you have X amount of four thousand weekends or whatever it is in your life, you know. I think it's more than that, but um I did the math. I was like, all right, my dad's this age, average life expectancy. I've got this many more weekends with my dad or for our son to hang out with my dad, you know. So we've started to prioritize that a little bit more. It's like on Sundays or Saturdays, we're going over there for an hour. But I remember growing up, even when I was young, I was like, my parents struggled. You know, mom and dad had a diner when I was nine years old, 50s-style diner in northern Kentucky. Um where they had new hope milk pancakes and you know all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. But I remember in that, you know, growing up thinking I never want to do what my yeah. dad does. Yeah. Never want to do it. Get me the furthest thing. I mean, I was trying to be a pastor. I, I never wanted to be anywhere remotely close to the food service industry. And then today at 37, I look at it, you know, my dad works at, you know, is the sales guy at Lorenzo's and we have a lot of overlap. I call my dad every single day to talk about this industry, you know, or to call, I call my dad with a story. Uh, I remember the first time I went into a restaurant and somebody was talking about the Coke that they were doing, you know, an hour prior. And I was like blown away by it. And I called my dad and he's laughing. He's like, it's the same thing, same, same, it's the same industry today as it was back in the seventies, you know, when he had his first restaurant. Yeah. Um, and I want to trade those conversations for the world today. But having said that, I pray to God that my son never grows up and, and has to make a living in the restaurant industry and yeah. food service. It's, it is the most unpredictable, up and down, you know, one day you're high, one day you're low industry that I've ever, I'm sure it's, I'm sure there's, you know, peeking behind the curtain of other industries, it's similar. But it's so up and down in this place. And I hope he never has to do what I do, you know. But is that like So what if he come what if he I mean what if he what if he comes home one day and he's like, you know, he comes home from school and you're, <laughs> you know, preparing his mac and cheese and you look over and he's fucking watching a cooking show. Yeah. What are you gonna do, Aunt? You're not gonna. You're not gonna shut it off. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) right. It's like so. I mean, I'd probably be the same way if it was figure skating. I'd be like, (laughs) shut that off right now. You know. So I'm not sure that I'd want my. You know, and I think this is cool, but I'm not sure that I'd want my child to pursue a, uh, you know, a degree in music. Right. Yeah. For what? Yeah. For sure. You know. I mean, if you want to teach music, get a secondary ed 
degree and then go teach music. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what, so if I were to, if you were someone to ask me, what do you want for your kids and how does it relate to your business? Well, you know, you said you pray that your 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 child never has to spend a day of his life in this business. Well, my prayers are similar to that in that uh, I always pray for their safety first, and then mm-hmm. second, I pray for them to be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, my daughter loves these fucking English cooking shows, you know, like the one on Netflix <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. She's always, like, walking around the house with a British accent, mimicking Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> you know, and... and uh, That's awesome. Yeah, and I, you know, and so we talk about it, you know, and she cooks with her mother and she cooks with me and she helps out. Um, you know, and then I'll, and then she'll mention the diner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hmm. so I don't know. I try to never, I try to never like stifle or, yeah. you know, impede her natural, um, affinities, if you will, or yeah. her desire to do one thing versus the other. Because I remember I had an affinity f- to cook when I was 18, 17, 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And I didn't pursue it because I had this perception that it, it wouldn't afford me the lifestyle that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, having worked in a pizza shop at 14 and 15, having worked in a restaurant washing dishes, Lemoyne Manor when I was 13 years mm-hmm. old, you know, and I'm like... These guys aren't doing it, you know. Yeah. And then I had a, you know, I had bro- my both of my brothers were professionals, and you know, one's an engineer, the other one's an architect. My cousins are all professionals and pursuing um, things. Just f- a, a big departure from this, so I felt like, well, I got to go pursue something too, yeah. you know. And uh, mm. and then I ended up in culinary school in Miami, <laughs> you know, when I was living in Miami, and it, it was be- it was not because I. You know, I woke up one day and I said, man, I need a second job or more income. You don't go into this business to get rich. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Although it's afforded me a good lifestyle. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, the trade-off is huge. It's almost immeasurable, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I'm constantly either uh, acting on its behalf or it has my mind, mm-hmm. right? And I'm thinking directly on its behalf or acting yeah. uh, in a way that benefits the restaurant and my staff. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm being tangential, but, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like, um, it was something I couldn't deny anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I was working in my field for a, a, a global telecom company doing well by, by any regard. Um, I had everything I needed, you know, I was on pace to have a good retirement, a good career, and I gave it all up to make $13 an hour, you know, to trade <laughs> one one job for, you know, a, you know, a cut in pay to learn this business. So I said, well, that was part of my paying tuition mm-hmm. to learn this business. You know, I had been managing people for a number of years prior. I understood how business worked, essentially, the nuts and bolts of it. You know, I was, was comfortable with uh, negotiating a lease, you know, hiring mm. people, recruiting people. Um mm. But I I didn't like what I was doing, you know. So I was in a place, thank God, where I didn't have any debt and Mm -hmm. I had a little bit of uh, seed money and I could explore, you know, not so much the idea that, oh, I want to own a restaurant and be self-employed. It was more like I want to pursue my passion and give it a shot, Yeah, you know. So Mm -hmm. I did it, you know. I went to culinary school and here I am. And I didn't know it was going to work out this way, Yeah, you know. But my, my feelings and my focus are very different today than it was 18, 20 years ago, yeah. you know. 
I want to take a quick moment and remind you, stop what you're doing. Go to eatlocalnewyork.com right now and buy an Eat Local New York card. Not only does it make an exceptional Christmas gift, but it's a great way for you to save money at local restaurants all across New York State. Over 150 restaurants accept it, 100 of which are right here in central New York, including the Market Diner. And every time you go out to eat, you can just show your card and get $5 off your bill. It's a no-brainer, especially nowadays with how expensive it is to go out to eat today. Why would you not buy an Eat Local New York card? Head over to our website, Eat Local New York, that's New York spelled out, dot com, and buy your card today. And now, back to the episode. There is something about the, I mean, there's, you know, cooking last night. Uh, it's, a, there is, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to sit there and think through, how can I make this product really delicious? You know, how can I make sure that customers are going to enjoy it? What do I think is great? And, um, and what do I think is something that, like people haven't eaten around here and then creating that food and giving it to somebody. It's a really great feeling. And the rush of being on a line, especially when you're busy, there's few things like that that exist out there um, that like an average person can experience of 20 tickets on the rail, yeah, as, you know, nice, at yeah. five o'clock. Right. Um, and so there is a rush for that. It's just, it's such a, it's such a difficult business, you know, um, so I don't know. Our our plan for Anthony is we're is you know when he's twenty, we're going to say here's a bank account with and actually you know our our, our first aim was a hundred thousand, but now we're gonna be we're just, you know we're gonna be able to blow that out of the water. But we're gonna hand him we're gonna say here's a hundred thousand dollars. You can either go to college, which who knows if that's even gonna be a thing when he's you know eighteen, um, like it is today. So you can either go to college and you can pay for your tuition with this or you can start a business and you know if you're responsible and you have a business plan and you know we're not just going to be like hey here's the keys to 100 grand go good luck yeah. um you know then if you want to start a business at 20 you can start a business at 20 and i hope to god he doesn't say he wants to open up a restaurant <laughs> <laughs> um if you could if 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 you were you know if you could if you were to open a restaurant today a new restaurant. You have to. So you have to open a restaurant today. What do you, in in Syracuse? What do you think you would open? If you would you open up another diner? Would you go like, you know, dinner service? What do you think you would do? Uh, I've thought about that, you know, and um, so I, I love the idea of like in this, and I'm not sure why I love the idea. Well, let me let me digress a bit. So I want to make it absolutely clear that I absolutely love to cook. Mm-hmm. I'm captured. I'm, I'm, uh, it's cathartic for yeah. me. It repairs everything in mm-hmm. me. Um, and it's a solo endeavor and it's a creative outlet, whether you're, you know, whether you're making an omelet or you're making a souffle, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's just the way I feel about it. I yeah. love it. And that's what brought me here, mm-hmm. right? So I'm never going to – I don't see myself ever falling out of love with it like that. But if I were to – start anew, it would be much smaller scale. It wouldn't be, you know, we have 150 seats in the diner and another 25 outside. So 175 seats plus four delivery uh, Hmm. outlets, right? Plus pickup. It's, it's, it can be overwhelming. You know, Uh, we employ more than 20 people, uh, 32 at our height, you know, in our, Hmm. in our busiest time. Um, But I love the idea of a coffee shop, Hmm. you know, um, I do. I love it because I, I, I've always felt like I've, 
I've never given enough time to like building and developing and creating pastries. Um, and my career has ever, always been focused on savory. So I mm. like that idea and I'm, you know, I love coffee and, uh, you know, I, so something like that has always captured me. And then a smaller diner, almost like the trackside diner in, you know, in Liverpool. Yeah. 20, 30 seats mm. that my wife and I could do, you know, Wednesday through Sunday. Right. You know, breakfast, lunch, have a nice day, mm-hmm. not look to hit the cover off the ball. Mm. Something to continue with, you know, having those relationships with people that walk through the front door. You know, there's no, you know, I don't, listen, you and I know a lot of people in this business and I know a lot of people that have done very well. And I, and I also know those people that haven't done very well. Um, it's difficult, you know, it's difficult. And having worked in corporate America, it's difficult to a totally different degree than just answering to a schedule on a project or to a boss. Mm -hmm. It's different. Yeah. You know, it's, um, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into it and sacrifice is okay. Sacrifice goes into any endeavor that you care about. Right. But you know, you, you put so much on the line for this, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that it could affect your personal finances, um, for years to come if you make a bad decision. Yeah. Right. So you're always thinking about that. If you know, you go to work for AT&T or, you know, Mm. uh, New York telephone and you make a bad decision. Oh, well, you might lose your job. You might leave your job but you can go get a new one the next day mm. and you haven't, you know, you haven't, you haven't exposed yourself to any financial risk other than to going without a paycheck for a few days or a few weeks or what have you. Yeah. With a business, it's different. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's, um, I said it a couple of years ago. I don't, I think it might be a stupid thing to say, but I'll say it again. Uh, <laughs> and that is, I think one of the worst, I shouldn't say one of the worst that's over dramatic. Um, I wonder how much, how many resources uh, failed restaurants sap out of, you know, local communities, because there. I mean, the number of restaurants that open and close is staggering, and I've been doing this now. I've been back in Syracuse for eight years, and I've now seen, I think, maybe the it, definitely the first, maybe the two passes of restaurants have like opened, stayed open, like struggled for a couple of years, and then shut down, and. Um, it's it's crazy to see. I mean, yeah, it's, there's definitely a life at the end of that tunnel for sure. And I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody who opens in a restaurant, takes a swing at something, and it closes, right? I mean, listen, you got to take a risk. I think of Paul Valenti. I mean, Paul had, what, two or three failed attempts before Glazed and Confused. So you can't, you have to fail before you're going to, you know, it's, you're not going to have an idea that's just going to knock it out of the park. Or if you do, it's incredibly rare that like your first attempt at something is going to make you this incredibly happy millionaire. Um, But it is interesting to see how many fail and to see like, you know, the people who um, still try again, you know, I've got a friend right now has four restaurants that have failed and he's now on his fifth one, you know, and this one, this is going to be the one. This is the one that's going to make it, you know. Sure it is. <laughs> it's awesome. No, no, trust me, Tony. This is, a, yeah. this is the one. This is the one. <laughs> yeah. This is the one. Do you have 100000 I could borrow? Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. So, yeah. the number, so the number one reason restaurants fail is they're undercapitalized. Yeah. All right. So people, 
and, and, I'll, and, and then the, the second reason, typically, a lot of people will say, well, it's concept and location. Well, p- partly, but that, that, that falls into a different bucket. It's really competency. They don't know. And I'll give you an example. A guy spends 30 years at UPS driving a truck. He does really well. He's got a good retirement. He's got a, a great 401k. And he decides that one day he wants to open a diner. But he knows nothing about food service. He's never ordered food beyond what he has to order for his refrigerator in his house. Hmm. And his wife may do that. He's never actually done it. Right. But he's going to risk $300,000 to seed a restaurant. Right. Without any understanding of what it's like to Hmm. recruit, interview, hire, train, order, build, market. (laughs) It's, it's a, so what any what any good financial advisor is going to first do with you if he, if his first question is or her first question to you is how much money do you have invest i would tell you to run as fast as you can <laughs> what the, the first thing that you, that should happen is you know after the introductions is you need they need to put you through a risk assessment so they understand what your competency level is hmm. in uh and being complicit in and fi- getting yourself to and through retirement until mm-hmm. until to, until the day that you go into the ground, yeah. you know, in in mm. the same way that that happens a lot in our business, you know, and, and I see it all the time. Guy spends forty years at GE, he wants to blow a half a million bucks on a restaurant, he does it, and he doesn't know why he doesn't work. It doesn't work out. Yeah, you know, doesn't doesn't mean that it can't. Yeah, but it means if you don't have the experience, then you have to relinquish the the reins a little bit. And being a good leader is finding and surrounding yourself with people who can, right? And I and mm. I and I you know I I believe in that too. I mean that's what we mm. that's what Elaine and I do. We we pay for great people, you know. So who's whose fault do you think it is that there's so, that so many restaurants fail? I mean, fail? Yeah, because like, what's that number? Is it eighty percent? It's like eighty percent of new restaurants that open in their first three years fail, or whatever that number is. I know it's staggering, um, but who's who do you think is to blame? I mean, I'd like to I'd like to say, and I've met like you t- saying that story right there. I think of two people I know who did the same thing: great, amazing jobs, retired in the later years of their life, wanted to open a restaurant, and so they did. And two or three or four years later, places shut down and, you know. All too common. Yeah. So, and then I know, I do know younger, you know, younger people in their 20s and 30s who, you know, they may not be wasting their entire, you know, life, you know, retirement and life savings, but they're taking out massive loans, opening restaurants, and they have no idea what they're doing. But everywhere I, or everywhere that I've looked, I don't see anyone talking about, education and you know listen you're gonna do it we can't talk you out of opening a restaurant so and you understand the risks going into it here is the training that you are going to need before you open your restaurant you know i don't see any anything like that out there that exists you know i when i first started like i've always i've always put restaurant owners on a pedestal of wow you know you open a restaurant you must know so much more than i do about business and finances and life and people and food. And what I've learned, if there's anything I've learned over the eight years is that is not the case. It's most people that are, you know, dumb like me who had a dream and decided to take a risk. It's just a much more massive risk when you're opening a restaurant and leasing this building and responsible for your staff and their well-being and all that kind of stuff. So 
So I just wonder whose fault is it? Is it like, is it the owner who decided to take the 500,000 or however much the risk was to open a restaurant without having any knowledge or experience over, like you were saying, like ordering food beyond their fridge? Is it the people that are investing in them and giving them the money? Is it the bank, you know, who gives them the loan? Is it, you know, whose fault is it? How do we mitigate that? How do we say, all right, if it's an 80% failure rate, how do we get it down to 60% failure rate? So I can, I, I can only, I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but, um, so I had been in, uh, IT telecom, uh, in a technical field and, uh, sales and service. And, um, I had already been in a, in a position for several years where I was managing a sales channel, a program. And, uh, part of that was managing processes, um, managing installations of goods or services, um, so I, th so that prepared me for what I do today, um, in many ways. Yeah. The, the other, the other part of it was that, uh, I had, I had seed money that I had saved over the years, um, to commit to a restaurant project. Right. I knew, so I was working in my field, going to culinary school at night and, uh, I knew I was absolutely committed to the, that this is what I wanted to do. And it was more than just, I want to take a swing. You know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. So my attitude was like you. I knew what the statistics said. Yeah. You know, I knew what the numbers were like. You know, I knew that hmm. the percent, the, the, the failure rate was astronomical. And hmm. I, didn't, I didn't want to get close to those numbers. I wanted to find a way where my, I lowered the risk, right? My risk assessment is not very high. Mm -hmm. My my risk tolerance is low. I didn't want to take a half, mm. a, you know, a, a, a half-hearted swing at this. I wanted to make it work. Yeah. So I knew that culinary school wasn't the end all for me. It wouldn't prepare me for this industry. Yeah. I knew how to make certain things and stocks and the mother sauces and, you know, and, and, and debone a, a hind quarter and fillet a fish and all those great things that you learn in culinary school. Mm. But I knew that I didn't have real life, the real life experience I needed. So I went to work in the industry. Mm. You know, I went and found some people that I trusted, which happened to be family in Boston. And I moved to Boston from Miami. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, you know, I, I cut my teeth in a high end Italian restaurant because it was the type of food that I was committed to, to learning and doing and making. So I went and I paid further tuition to learn. Mm. And I was able to walk hand in hand with, you know, a, a very talented chef that had a great um, pedigree. He could make great food. Mm. And, uh, he, you know, he left a lot to be desired in how he dealt with people. But, you know, he came from a different world. You know, he's Moroccan. He went to culinary school in London, mm. worked in Europe for a number of years and found himself in Boston. But I was able to... I was able to walk hand in hand with that guy for, you know, a year and I learned a ton. Hmm. So it was just like I, I went and paid tuition. Let me say that I'm not a big believer in bad ideas. I just think there's bad locations for certain ideas, mm -hmm. right? Because the truth is you you could make 3-1 Fried look as good as or as bad as you wanted to without ever having it brick and mortar, right? right? I mean... Amazon's a good example. You, you never walk into the Amazon store. <laughs> and if you do, it's usually in your underwear or pajamas on your computer <laughs> late at night because you can't sleep, right? So the perception of the storefront is it's on your computer and it looks great. Well, there's ghost kitchens that do 
extremely well that no one ever walks into. Yeah. Right? You, you just go online, you look at their menu, you see a picture of their food, and it, and it, you know, it motivates you to make a decision and buy that and try mm-hmm. it. So, I don't know, how do you reduce the risk? You have to, you have, you need the education. You mm-hmm. have to pay tuition. Because at the end of the day, for the guy or gal that invests the couple hundred grand and loses and closes, they still get the education. Yeah. You understand? <laughs> they just, they paid a lot more for it. They paid for it dearly. Yeah. Their, edu- their education is no different than mine or yours. Mm-hmm. It just we happen, we happen to be operating. You yeah. know, and if we're lucky, it's profitable. Yeah. Right? But it's the same education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So how do you do it? You know, I mean, I think you go out and you get the experience first. You know, if the guy or gal that is retired and they have the G background and, you know, they might they might be comfortable or be experienced in interviewing, recruiting, hiring, managing, starting up, managing a process. Go to work for a restaurant and the type of business that you that you perceive that you want to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to if you want to open a diner, you don't go to work at Olive Garden. Yeah. You know. Is that the advice I was going to, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you today was what's the advice you would give to somebody that's thinking about opening up a restaurant? Is that the advice you would give is like, go get the experience, make sure that you have the experience first? 100%. Definitely. You know, definitely. No question about it. Uh, You know, because you can immerse yourself in it and you can get a, you're going to get a, you know, you're going to get a dose of what it's like to operate day to day in this business. And I can't tell you how many friends I had that went to school for education in their fourth year of school, um, you student teach. And mm-hmm. then they realized in that student teaching that <laughs> teaching is not for them, yeah. you know. Yeah. So at the time, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. You yeah. know, I mean, you just invested. And if you invested it at a private school, it's a really tough pill to swallow, right? But, you, you know, they, they're all fine. They're all doing great. They parlayed it into other things. And, mm. and so be it, you know. But... The idea is you don't really know until you're in it. Yeah. Right. Right. You know you, you can't you can't you can't watch YouTube videos on on being a hairdresser or a cosmetologist without getting your actual hands wet. You'll never know. Yeah. All you really are is a guy or girl that watches videos. Mm-hmm. You know, and you perceive that this is what you want to do. Well, the restaurant's no different. Mm-hmm. You know, go get your hands wet. Yeah. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, go suit up, show up. Go work some weekends, get beat up, get kicked around, you know, work the holidays, because that's the reality of it, you know? Yeah. Easter Sunday, you're not in church, you're cutting, you know, you're you're cutting ham. Yeah. You know, you're baking hams and lasagnas and, you know, you're, you're running around with your head cut off, you know, uh, trying to get ready for a couple hours or four hours of chaos. Yeah. And then when it's over, you know, you, you catch your breath and then you clean up. And you stock up and you go home to do it again the next day. Yeah. I, um, and back in December, uh, so Anthony was born in November. So this is last December, right? When he was born. But um, the marketing, you know, the marketing social media for restaurants in our area, at least, I can't speak to other areas, but in our area, it goes through different seasons, you know, like, there's there's certain times of the year you'll I'll start getting contacted by like every restaurant owner that's ever heard of me and they're like we're excited we're gonna do marketing for the first time and then a few months later you know so it has its ups and downs and that kind of like end of December to f- end of February is kind of like or end of January is kind of like that downswing and 
you know, I've never worked on contracts. I, I always wanted to kind of hold myself accountable. So, uh, so clients will sometimes just come and go, you know, within a month or two. And so back in December, it was like kind of like that. I, I had a job working at Lorenzo's or working, doing some social media for them. That was like, a, I was on the payroll. And, and so I was able to just do that, still have the few clients I had at the time for Eat Local, and it wasn't a big deal. I didn't have to take a paycheck from Eat Local. So everything was fine. And then Limp Lizard needed a kitchen, like needed somebody to run the restaurant in North Syracuse and cook, and obviously I'm connected there. And I was, in my head, I was like, oh, I could do both. I could go run the restaurant and still do Eat Local New York and this Lorenzo's thing. And I'd be pulling two salaries, and that'd be I – mean, I, could, I could probably do that for like you six months. You don't need months. to sleep or eat. Right. Or, right. You're good. <laughs> Becca can handle things at home. I thought she was going to – I'm surprised she didn't leave, to be quite honest yeah. with you. Um, because at home with a month-and-a-half, two-month-old, um, I was leaving the house at like 6 a.m. and going up into the restaurant until like 1 or 2 p.m., coming here to the studio to do – the marketing stuff for a couple hours before getting back up to the restaurant at like four thirty for dinner, and then the restaurant didn't close until nine. So getting home at like ten, I'm I mean, and I I don't know how she didn't leave, but uh, and I don't know how I did, it, but I I only did it for three months. But Super Bowl Sunday, fifty cent chicken wings. Yeah, on a Super Bowl Sunday, <laughs> thirty eight cases of chicken wings. Yeah, in one day, yeah. and you know I'm like. I don't know how people. I mean, that's just Super Bowl. that's just shy of sixteen hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know how people. And that was just Super Bowl. It was even like an important thing. And I remember I was in the back, like we had our guys in the line, we had our system down, everything ran incredibly smoothly for selling that many wings in eight hours. But um, I was in the back getting getting like the wings laid out for the guys to talk, like bring up to the front. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, like, how in the hell do owners do or even any of the staff how do they do this when it's easter when it's thanksgiving when it's you know whatever the hell it is like for multiple years one after the other there's no break you know it's just like the the amount of respect for the people who just show up and do that back breaking work every single day 95 percent of them not really making significant money where it's like, oh, it's worth it. I made a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's 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 uh that those are the things that like saying earlier, like I used to have restaurant owners on a pedestal and some of them I still do. Um some of them who I've like have been doing this for a decade, you know, not to say this just because you're sitting here, but people like yourself who like haven't given up or still still every week looking and saying, all right, how am I going to, how are we going to save money this week? You know, um, shopping eggs, like you said. Um, so I still have some of them on a pedestal where it's like, all right, you obviously know a hell of a lot more than most. Um, but most of my respect goes out to the people who have been doing this for 25 years on the line in a kitchen. They're not making enough money to retire early or have a second home or have a vacation place. They're working holidays and just dealing with it. It's insane. I don't know how people do that. I really don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, you'd have, <laughs> I don't know how they do it either. I mean, I, I, uh, it, it's, you know, I, 
as you say these things, I think about people that I know that I have personal relationships that are doing it. Yeah. You know, and I think about um, where they are in their life. And a lot of them, I think, do it out of what they think is necessity. It's like, well, well you know, I'm, I'm this age now and uh, what am I going to do? Right. You know, what, and they, you know. Yeah. So whether your perception is they do well or not, they're doing, I think, I think the idea is they're doing well enough to justify that existence. Otherwise, um, if you're not treading water, you gotta, you know, well, some people don't, I mean, uh, you know, there's plenty of people that don't pack it in when they should, you yeah. know? So I don't know. I mean, that's not, that's not our story. Thank God. But, um, there's, there, it's, it, th- listen, there's an affinity, f- there's an affinity for it, mm-hmm. you know, um, that is difficult to explain. You know, when I walk into a kitchen, I don't care if it's mine or someone else's, I feel comfortable. Yeah. I love it. I love the stainless steel. I love the smells. I love the quarry tile, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, it gets my juices flowing. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's the same way for an engineer that walks into a manufacturing facility. I, I don't mm. know. You know, um, mm. I don't know. I don't, you know, how do they, how do they, uh, how do they do it day in and day out? Crazy. Some of, yeah. Some of them do it by necessity. What are they going to do? Yeah. You know? mm. And I think, and I think that's partly to, to go back to the COVID conversation. So I think a lot of people left this industry just because of what you described. Yeah. That's what's that. I mean, so we all have had the conversations about, hey, man, what are you doing to find people? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and it's been difficult. It's been one of the biggest challenges post COVID for any hospitality uh, outlet, food service outlet. Right. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Limp Lizard, the retreat or us, I don't or a cafeteria at SU or yeah. Lemoyne. Right. It, because people, because it's a difficult existence, yeah. and some people said, "Well, man, I, I, they're home thinking about if I could change, what would I do?" Mm. And I think some people got to the point where they're like, "Maybe I'll take less money to try something new." And that, in my in my feeling, is that that's a good way to approach it. Yeah, you know, how do you know? How do you how do you limit your losses or reduce? How do you reduce the percentage of being a statistic in the ba- on the bad negative side? Mm-hmm. Go get your feet wet and see if it's for you first before mm-hmm. you actually throw your eggs in the, you know, throw your iron all your irons in one fire. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's good. So mm-hmm. I don't. I, it, it's a difficult business, man. How do you do it day in and day out? I used to <laughs> love when my employees would come to work in a new car. Yeah, you know, I get st- psyched. You got a five hundred dollar payment. Awesome. Don't forget to punch in, <laughs> you know, meaning like now you've created this lifestyle where you have to earn the money. Yeah. Right. Mm. I, I mean, you, 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 you know, you bought a house, you had a child, you have an elderly parent mm. that needs help and resources, mm. cars and kids and houses need take money. Yeah. You know, how do you earn mm. money? Yeah. That's good. So, you know. Mm. Yeah. Well, I could talk for hours. Yeah, um, me too. I'm looking forward if this the this episode's going to come out probably this Friday. So next Friday on the 15th, uh, Dave Allen's big six year uh, six years now in a row at the Market Diner Christmas episode Christmas radio show uh, that's broadcast live at the diner every year. He's had big guests. I mean, I know last year Mayor Walsh was in, the county executive was in as a guest. So uh, Fitzpatrick was there. 
So it's a cool spot just to come hang out if you want to like see and meet some of those our local politicians and local celebrities. I'll be curious if he has the new SU football coach in this year. Ooh, I didn't um, think about that. Yeah. Uh, but even better for it goes from five a.m. until nine a.m. Friday the fifteenth, and for the market diner we're doing fifty-seven cent. Eggs and toast, is that yeah. right? Two <laughs> eggs, toast. Yeah, 57 cents. <laughs> the home fries are $20, yeah. but... Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. And then God. what's the cheeseburger special? It's Is it uh, five seventy? Yeah. Yeah, five seventy for a cheeseburger. So, yeah. um, which nowadays is just stupid how <laughs> incredibly yeah, it's cheap. okay. You know, Chad said it best. It's like I, I look at it like, okay, so I don't, you know, I don't make less money. That yeah. week. It's okay. Right. You know? And I, I'll tell you, that's another, if you really want to know, I think there's too many people in this business mm-hmm. that don't, first of all, they don't have a plan beyond, yeah. beyond, oh, I have some money and I'd like to open a sub shop. Yeah. Right. How do you market? Yeah. Right. And what is your commitment to marketing? Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and if you're unsure about it, mm-hmm. take a look, take a look at Coke, FedEx, mm-hmm. UPS, any sponsors of these sporting events, Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, and ask yourself, how important do you think they feel Hmm. about marketing? Because their marketing budgets are in the billions, if if you combine, if you take a look at it. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, but yeah, it's crazy. It's important, yeah. you know, so. Well, not that you need help getting any more people down there for that day, but uh, anybody who's listening to the podcast, if you want to come down, I'm going to be hanging out there. Dude, I'm sorry. This is my oh, this is fine. my CGM meter. My I have a glucose meter on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sucks, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Anybody who's listening to the podcast, podcast listener watching on YouTube, I'm going to be down there hanging out, so... The first 25 of you that want to come down, breakfast is on me that day. And then awesome. I'll be handing out Eat Local New York cards awesome. to you as well, free for your Christmas gift. So for the 15th, send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know that you're coming. And yeah, Tony, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah. I love hanging out with you. Yeah, thanks, yeah. man. It's good. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Eat Local New York podcast. I so appreciate it. If you want to watch the video, head over to our YouTube channel, head over to our website, eatlocalnewyork.com. Please pick up an Eat Local New York card over on our website. Great Christmas gift this Christmas season. Uh, saves you money at over 150 locally owned restaurants here in New York State, the mo- majority of which are right here in central New York. And don't forget, give our sponsors a call, 315-454-3591, Brown Carbonic, where they put the fizz in your biz. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you back here next week for another episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. Podcast.